All right. Well, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate the opportunity and the privilege uh, to be here and to stand in the pulpit of Fellowship Baptist Church. We're thankful for what the Lord is doing here. We follow uh, all that takes place here on Facebook and all the videos that come out. We just enjoy seeing what God is doing here in liberal Kansas and praise the Lord for it. I do appreciate Brother Prater. He was actually with us several years ago and challenged me in the area of police chaplaincy and law enforcement chaplaincy and so uh, began to pray about it. And uh, I personally didn't have a problem with it, but I wanted to make sure it was the Lord's will. And so we prayed about it, went in and talked to the, the chief of police and everything just has flowed from there. And uh, we've had, as he said, had two law enforcement appreciation days. Our first one last year, we had 17 officers with their families. We had a total of 49. This year, we had a total of 40 officers and 143 people uh, came, come from the police department and the Washington County Sheriff's Office. And as, it, as we began to look at things, we could tell it was going to grow. So we actually had to go downtown, Brother Prater, and hold it at the community center because we don't have the parking or the facilities to be able to hold uh, that many plus our church folks. And so we're just thankful for what the Lord's done and the doors that he's opened. I just got a text from one of our officers this afternoon. He and his wife just had uh, twin boys, and they have been talking to me about coming to church, and he is wanting us to do a baby dedication for him uh, in February. And so we're just thankful for what the Lord has done. And I appreciate Brother Prater's uh, challenge in that, and then just the, the wisdom and the counsel that he's given as we have moved forward with that. It's just a blessing, and I appreciate it. But I love the, uh, my wife and I, our family love the Praters, and have known them for a number of years, and just thankful uh, for them and for their friendship, and the opportunity even with uh, these crazy shoes to be able to preach uh, here at your facility. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3, we're going to begin, we're going to read the first 20 verses. Lamentations chapter number 3, beginning in verse 1. It says there, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he has turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone and he hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways, and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow, and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people, and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken and with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes." And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering the, mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Father, we come before you now and we pray that you bless this, the reading of thy word. I pray, Lord, that you just give me clarity of thought, of mind, and of speech tonight that I might speak, thus saith the Lord, and I pray that this message would be a help 
to all of those that are here to hear tonight. Lord, help us through this. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you, by uplifted hand, these are going to be easy questions, I promise. I know it's a Wednesday night, you've been working this week. But how many of you have had a bad day already this year? I mean, already a bad day, all right? How many of you, looking back over your life, you would say, man, that was a bad year. I wish I could just completely forget about that year. Anybody like that? I've got one we're going to reference here in just a little while. There are those weeks, those days, those years that... We wish we could just erase from our memory. Just completely do away with them so we don't have to have those come to our thought, into our thoughts anymore. And, and the truth is, as we read here in Lamentations tonight, we find the Israelites in the city of Israel in that very place. As Jeremiah begins to, to pen here the, the book of Lamentations, uh, this is just following the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon in about 586 B.C. This book is literally called and known and described as the funeral song of Jerusalem. After everything that they have just gone through and everything that they've experienced, it's known as the funeral song of Jerusalem. Because as, as Jeremiah pins this book, he details the deplorable conditions Jerusalem after God's judgment had fallen on them. And we've only read just 20 verses here in, in Lamentations 3 and not even in, in verses or chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to briefly uh, look at these here in just a moment. But, but here he's detailing these deplorable conditions. Now, as we move forward, one thing that is of interesting note is this, that according to tradition, Jeremiah sat weeping and lamenting just outside Jerusalem's north wall. And as he wrote the book of Lamentation, he was sitting under the hill called Golgotha. And as, as I was studying and I came across that, as you read the beginning of Lamentations and you get to this and, and realizing where Jeremiah is sitting as he is, he is weeping and he is mourning and he is lamenting the fall of Jerusalem and the deplorable conditions. And we look at where he is sitting as he pins, begins to pin these words. But listen to how a few commentators have described the book of Lamentations. One said, Lamentations describes the funeral of a city. It is a tear-stained portrait of the once proud Jerusalem, now reduced to rubble by the invading Babylonian hordes. In a five-poem dirge, Jeremiah exposes his emotions. A death has occurred and Jer Jerusalem lies barren. Another said, it is a mute reminder that sin, in spite of all its allurement and excitement, carries with it heavy weights of sorrow, grief, misery, barrenness, and pain. It is the other side of the eat, drink, and be merry coin. J. Vernon McGee said, This book is filled with tears and sorrows. It's a, a pain of pain, a poem of pity, a proverb of pathos, a hymn of heartbreak, a psalm of sadness, a symphony of sorrow. It is the wailing wall of the Bible. As Jeremiah prophesied back in his book, Jeremiah 39, verses 1 through 10, Jerusalem fell to Babylon, just as he prophesied, and a great majority of Israel has now been taken captive and carried away. And in the fall of the city, the, the great temple there that had been built by Solomon, which stood for four centuries, that the Bible describes as being exceedingly magnificent. 
I don't know what it is. There's just something about that description that, that I, I just love. It's one of my favorite Bible words. Exceedingly magnificent. And that's how it was described. But now this, this temple that has been built that's described as being exceedingly magnificent. What we find now, it's been laid barren. It's been laid waste. It is completely destroyed. As Jeremiah witnessed the desecration of the temple and the destruction of the city, the once proud capital had been trampled in the dust. Her people were now under the harsh hand of a cruel taskmaster. With all these events stamped vividly on his mind, Jeremiah sat down to compose his series of laments. Now notice, if you will, back in chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, the condition and the state of Jerusalem. Verse, chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations and princes um, uh, uh, among the provinces? How has she become tributary? Chapter 2 and verse 1, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger and cast down from heaven unto the earth and the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger? Drop down to verse 5. It says, The Lord was an enemy, and he has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds, and hath increased in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. And then verse 11 of the same chapter. He says, Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. Then as we go back to the book of Deuteronomy and we compare Lamentations and the passages here in um, Lamentations and Deuteronomy, we find a further description of Jerusalem as stating that Jerusalem will wander among the nations, that their foes will become your master and children, your children will be taken into captivity. They will flee in weakness from their enemies and they will lose their young, to young people to captivity. It is said that others will scoff and ridicule their calamity. The mothers will be driven to eat their children, and the young and the old will be slaughtered in the streets. The once compassionate women will begin to will come to a point where they will, where they will cook their own children. Their houses and their lands will be given over to the foreigners, and, and there will be no rest for them among the nations. They will have to then serve their enemies in hunger and thirst, and their women will be uh, uh, assaulted and beaten. And the enemy, it says, will show no respect to the elders, and the unburied bodies will become food for the beasts and the birds. That's how Jerusalem is being described in the people of Israel. Now notice, if you will, in chapter 2 and verse 15, the the reaction and the response of Jerusalem's enemies. Verse 15, all that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss and gnash the teeth. They say, well, We have swallowed her up. Certainly this is the day that we looked for. We have found. We have seen it. In the first two chapters, Jeremiah has lamented and he's mourned the fall of Jerusalem. As he witnessed the desecration of the temple and the once proud capital now has just been laid completely barren and waste and trampled and under the, uh, the, the heavy and harsh hand of the taskmaster. Then in chapter 3, where we pick up tonight, here's what we find. is Jeremiah begins to give his personal lamentation. 
He, he, he begins to pour out his own heart and his own feelings. He begins to, to just lay bare his emotions about everything that has taken place and what has been described in the, the first two chapters. And, and, and as he does, as he gives this personal lamentation, as we just read there in verses 1 through 18, notice how he ends in, the ver, in verse 18. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished. Here's Jeremiah, the great prophet, writing about Jerusalem and the people of Israel. And he comes to a point and he says, his message is this, there's no hope. There's no hope. Now, I would imagine, even though you and I are not a part of, uh, of the nation of Israel, that, that hearing that description, it's pretty heavy. I mean, it's pretty weighty. I, I, I remember one time after preaching this, Deidre and I were talking in the car and she said, man, I'm telling you, I didn't think you were ever going to stop. It was just so heavy and so dark. And that's just for us recounting. Imagine how the nation of Israel felt. And for Jeremiah to say, there's no hope. And additionally, it would even be more difficult if that were the end of the account. To just stop and say, that's it. This is the account. This is the history. This is the way it all laid out. And we've come to this place and the end of it is simply this. There's no hope. There's nothing. There's no, there's no reason in going on. There's no reason in looking forward. There's no reason in doing anything else because there's simply no hope. But thankfully, that's not the end of this account. That's not the end of the story. What we find is, as the chapter progresses, as Jeremiah has laid bare his emotions and he continues to write his personal lamentation, the chapter progresses. And, and what we find here is that, that the, the, the lament, it moves from the lamenting of their situation, the current uh, circumstances, to delivering a message of the mercies and the compassions and the faithfulness of God. Listen, I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm thankful in 20, 2019, that that's not a message of no hope. I'm thankful that it doesn't end there, but that we can go on and we can talk about the compassions and we can talk about the mercies and we can talk about the faithfulness of Jehovah God. Hey, here's what he did. He, here's what happened. He went from saying there is no hope to coming to a point and saying, wait a minute, there's hope. There's hope not because of us because of Jehovah God, because of his mercies, because of his compassions, because of his faithfulness, he says there is hope. Now there's no denying that the, the sad state that Israel is in. There's no denying the destruction and, and the turmoil that they've experienced. But, but Jeremiah here makes a turn. As, as we read through, uh, through verse 20, Look now at the first, just the first phrase of verse 21. He's lamented all through the, chapter 3, and he comes to verse 21, and he says, This I recall to mind. Stop. Look up here. Don't look any further. You're going to spoil everything. He says, Thanks, Brother Prager. He says, This I recall to mind. Here's what happens. In the darkness, in the dreariness, in the difficult hour, that as he is recounting everything that is taking place, as he looks over the city that is laid waste and laid barren, and he says, but wait a minute. 
Wait a minute, I, I, I'm beginning to remember some things about God. I'm beginning to remember some things about my Jehovah. Hey, you know, just like the times we sit around and we say, oh, do you remember when? Well, what about when so and so? And we began to recall and we began to recount some things. And here Jeremiah begins, even in this day of darkness and in and, and this day of difficulty, he, he begins to recall some, to mind some things about God. And because of, of this, look at verse 21 again. He says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore have I what? Hope. Somebody say amen. What a blessing to know that even as he looks out over the city of Jerusalem and all that has taken place and the, 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 the tabernacle that, uh, that Solomon had built that was exceedingly magnificent and now it lay waste and, and lay barren and everything is absolutely destroyed and, and many of the nation of Israel are now in, in the hands of captors and they are, are, are in slavery. And Jeremiah says, but wait a minute, wait a minute, I know things look bad and I know it looks dark, but, but he says, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering some things about Jehovah God and because of this, I have hope. He has a hope. Israel has a hope. Despite their current situation, despite the, uh, the condition of their city, uh, they have hope. But then we stop and say, but wait a minute. How can, having experienced everything that they've experienced, how can they have hope? I mean, I understand being optimistic, and, and I understand uh, looking on the bright side and, and looking for the silver lining, but, but everything they've just gone through, how can he have hope? Verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies. It's the Lord's mercies. Now, now notice this. Is, it doesn't say it is of the Lord's mercy, but it's of the Lord's mercies. That, that plural denoting that that it's more than just one it's the it's the abundance of those mercies that god has upon his own children the mercies of god here so jeremiah what he's saying is that regardless of how bad things have gotten regardless of of how bleak the future looks we have to remember this that god is an an inexhaustible fountain of mercy because he is the father of mercies. Now, notice the next phrase. It's of the Lord's mercies, his inexhaustible uh, fountain of mercies, that we are not consumed. So it's of the Lord's mercies that, that we're not consumed. Here, understand, when, when we're going through these difficult times, how often do we feel as though we've been completely swallowed up by our difficulties? How, how often is it that we feel like every time we think we're getting up above, uh, getting our head above water, another wave comes crashing down and knocks us under, and we're doing everything that we can to kick and to struggle to get to the top and to breathe, and then something else happens, and something else happens, and something else happens. But I'm here to tell you tonight, my friends, that it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. No matter how difficult things get, no matter how dark the day is, he says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We can feel overwhelmed and consumed by the situation, but we're not. Because if anybody was going to be consumed, we'd have to say it was Israel. 
We'd have to say it was the, the nation of Israel with everything they've gone through, their city laid waste, the, the temple utterly destroyed, the, the nation now being divided as some were taken into captivity. But Jeremiah says to Israel, and he's saying to us, we owe it to the sparing mercy of God that we are not consumed. We're not. We may feel as though we are, but the truth is we're not. Fact is, others have been consumed. We, we can look around us and see those around us that have com- been completely overwhelmed and completely consumed by the, the circumstances and the situations and in life. But we ourselves have been, as Jeremiah is pointing out, we have been in the consuming and yet we are not consumed. The fact is, the people that are being consumed with the circumstances and the situations of life, hey, they live in the same world we live in. Listen, they, they face the same things that we face. The Bible says that, that the Lord maketh it to rain on the just and the unjust. It's not as though we get saved and now life is nothing but a bowl of cherries. And, and life is just a, a, a rose garden and everything is beautiful and, and everything is easy. That's not the way it is. We live in the same world that, all, that everyone else does. But the fact is that while we are in the consuming, we are not consumed. Now we have to remember that's not because of us. Not because we have done anything, but because of him. So why is it that they could be in the consuming and yet not be consumed? Look at verse 20. 22, I'm sorry. It is of the Lord's mercies, that's why there's hope, that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Now I'll be honest, as a father, sometimes I run out of compassion. I grew up with boys, me and two brothers. The only female in our house was my mom. I got married to a female and had no idea what I was doing. Things would happen and she would cry and I'm like, what? The only thing I knew is I couldn't deal with it like I did with my brothers because I'd go to jail for, go to jail for domestic violence. It's not domestic when the brothers are little. Then we begin to have children, and God laughed. He said, I'm going to give you all girls. And I'm going to take that drama dial and <clears throat> crank it up. And sometimes I run out of compassion. I fail in compassion. Sometimes as a friend, I fail in compassion. I would venture to say that, that as a pastor, there have been times I've failed in compassion. But listen, my friends, tonight the word of God says it is of the Lord's mercies we are consumed, not consumed because his compassions fail not. <laughs> I'm so glad he's not like us. So glad that his compassions fail not because the truth is we want compassion, do we not? It's what we want. So in spite of the terrible days of judgment that they were facing, Jeremiah reflected upon the mercy and the compassion of God. And he declares it was because of God's mercies that they had been not been totally and completely consumed. Because God had compassion on a righteous remnant. A few. Were they all right? No. Was the nation of Israel doing the right thing? No. That's why they're in the situation they are. But because of a righteous remnant, God had compassion. And here's what we find is the Lord's compassions are his Tender love and his, his tender mercies. 
One writer said that, that God's compassions fail not. They do not really fail, no. Not even when in anger he seems to have shut up his tender mercies. The, these rivers of mercy can run, the, these rivers of mercy run fully and constantly, but never run dry. Praise the Lord. Never run dry. So here's what we find. His compassion, his tender love and mercy, it never ceases. It never stops. It never comes to an end. Why is that? Look at verse 23. They are new every morning. Praise the Lord. There's a lot of things that aren't new in the morning. You know, every morning I've gotten up and I thought, maybe I'll look good today. You know what I found? Not so. Look the same as I did when I went to bed, maybe even worse. But God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning there's a fresh instance of God's compassion towards us. Job says that God visits us with new mercies and compassion every morning. Even when our earthly comfort fails, God's compassions never fail. Why is that? Because we, let, let's be honest, in our, uh, our finite thinking, we, have a tro- we, we struggle to understand. So how is it that, that his mercies are new every morning? We'll look at the end of verse 23. It's for this reason. Great is thy faithfulness. Now remember, Jeremiah just penned his personal lamentation. His heart laid bare because of the destruction of Jerusalem. But notice what he says. Great is thy faithfulness. Now we wouldn't think to say great is thy faithfulness looking over the city of Jerusalem. But remember, he had already said, wait a minute, I'm remembering some things. There's hope. There is hope. And the reason is because his mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not. And it's because of simply this, his faithfulness is great. I'm thankful that God is always faithful despite our actions. Despite our thoughts. Despite what our heart says and does and is. He is always faithful. No matter how messed up we are. No matter how far we've strayed from God, he is always, always faithful. And when we come to a place where we realize that and we understand that, we can come to the place where, hey, listen, we're sitting under the spout where the glory comes out because no matter what we've done, God is faithful. It's that stability that he provides in our life. And and here, Israel seemed as though the... This covenant was broken with God, but yet they confessed that it still continued in full force, regardless of what the outlook was was like, regardless of how barren and waste the city lay. And so while Jerusalem laid in ruins, the truth of the Lord continues to endure forever, because his compassions fail not, because his mercies are new every morning, because great is his faithfulness. What's that mean for us? The truth is, it's possible tonight that you feel as though your world is over. Everything you've known or thought you knew has crumbled down around you. You feel like the Israelites, honestly. 
you're struggling in life and, and you feel like Jerusalem was when they were brought to waste and, and the temple was destroyed and you're looking at life as if there's, there's no hope because every time I turn around there's a new wave that's crashing down on me and, and there's nothing to do except to resign to the fact that life is over so I'm just going to have to coast and try and make it through. Now, let's be honest, that's how Jeremiah felt for a time. As we read verses 1 through 20, that's exactly what he was saying. Until he looked to the Lord's mercies as he described in verses 22 and 23. And it changed his outlook. And it changed his heart. And it changed his mindset. Because what began to happen, listen, as he realized there that the Lord's mercies, uh, uh, it's because of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed, that his compassions failed, not, and that his mercies are new every morning because great is his faithfulness. When he came to that realization, here's what began to happen. When Jeremiah had no hope, now he's begun to remember some things, and he's begun to recall to mind some things that God has done in the past, though it doesn't look like it now. He recalls what God has done in the past. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's hope. And that hope sprang anew for Jeremiah. And so that darkness of no hope was dispelled by the dawn of hope in God's mercy, compassion, and faithfulness. So it's no different for us today. It's no different for you today in 2019 than it was for Jeremiah in 586. No different. It's the mercies of God that continue to keep us from being consumed. Because it's the same God. I said it's the same God. I'm thankful he hasn't changed. I'm thankful his mercies are still new every morning. Just as they were then, they are even today. I'm thankful that, that, that it's because his compassions continue to fail not. And, and because of his faithfulness and his mercies continue to be new every morning. We wake up. And they're there. We didn't have to do anything. It's just like at home, at home, my wife goes to bed. When she wakes up, there's a fresh pot of coffee. You know what? She didn't make that pot of coffee. She didn't put the water in. She didn't put the coffee grounds in. She didn't set the timer or anything. She just knows when she gets up in the morning, there's coffee there. It's new every morning until I'm gone for a night. And then she texts me, I forgot you weren't here until I realized there's no coffee this morning. We wake up in the morning and God's mercies are new. We didn't do anything, and we, to be honest, we don't even deserve it. But His mercies are new. His faithfulness is there. Listen to me tonight, regardless of where you are in life, whether you're dealing with, with the loss of a loved one, or, or it's a struggling marriage, or a wayward family member, or a friend, or maybe there's difficulties in your job, you're struggling with your health, maybe you're just completely overwhelmed with everything that life has thrown at you. Understand tonight, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with. You are not left without hope. You're not left alone. Let me remind you of what God's word says. In James, every good and every perfect gift is from above. From the true and living God who never changes. In Malachi, he said, behold, I am the Lord, I change not. In Hebrews, he said, I am the same yesterday and today and forever. The psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Again, the psalmist said, daily he loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. There's another proof of the Lord's mercies are, that they're new every morning. And it's because of these mercies and because of these compassions and because of his faithfulness, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus even now. I'm thankful we don't have to wait until we get to heaven. 
His promise that he wouldn't hold any good thing back from those that follow him faithfully and obediently. Can I give you two examples and then we'll close? Of life, circumstances or situations of recalling to mind. Back in January of 2008, it was January the 5th, 2008 is when it started. For the next 16 months until April of 2009, we buried four family members. My dad, both my grandmothers, and then my aunt, who had been dependent her entire life. And in that time of heartache and grief, I, I purposed. While there was grief and there was heartache and there was sorrow, here's what I did. I purposed to remember the good things that God had given me with my father. I purposed to remember what God had taught me through my father. I, re, I, I purposed to remember what God had done in the past. I'm not saying that it was easy, but it was just the choice that I made. Rather than, than to live in despair, I chose to focus on the memories and what God had given me and to focus on the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Another example, as I was going over these notes, came to mind. And this is not just for the purpose of pushing, pushing buttons. This is just a, an outsider's viewpoint as I watched. I've watched over the last year as the, the Prater family has exemplified exactly what Jeremiah is talking about. And what they have exemplified in their life is unfortunately what very few believers will actually do. Rather than face dealing and living in the grief and the heartache, they haven't been consumed. They haven't been overcome with despair. Listen, have there been hard times? Oh, absolutely. I remember the night Brother Prater texted me. And our hearts broke. And there's grief and there's heartache and, and, and that's understandable and that is okay. But the difference is that rather than being overcome with despair... They've remembered the good things and the memories and what God had done and what God did in TJ's life and how God used him uh, in, in the lives of others. They've not been overcome, but instead they have shown that as believers we are not overcome, but rather we are overcomers in and through Jesus. And they've done just what Jeremiah has said in our text. But then I remembered. But then I remembered. The truth is you're going to face some difficult times as we walk this earth. That's just part of life. It's part of living in the flesh. And it's due in part to the choices that we make. But whatever the hard things are that we suffer, we can't entertain those hard th thoughts towards God. And, and despite of all that we face, like Jeremiah here, we've got to be ready to acknowledge that God is kind and God is good and God is faithful even when it doesn't look like it. Remember what, Jer what Jeremiah was looking at as he penned the words and said, but this I recall to mind. Oh, wait a minute, there is hope. There is hope. Because no matter where we are, his mercies keep us from being consumed. And his compassions have not, nor will they ever fail us, because they are new every morning. No matter the despair, no matter the difficulty that you're facing, no matter the storm that is in your life, no matter how dark the cloud, 
where there seems to be no hope. Listen to me. There is hope. Because of God's mercies and God's compassion and God's faithfulness. Look at verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. 